Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is a returning guest, Dr. Richard Winters. Richard is a practicing emergency physician and an executive coach at the Mayo Clinic. He's also the Director of Leadership Development for the Mayo Clinic Care Network, where he facilitates retreats and delivers programs that train leaders at healthcare organizations worldwide. Richard authored the recently published Wall Street Journal bestselling book, You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from Mayo Clinic. In our first show, Richard shared with us the leadership experiences he had in his early life, why he believes leaders are vital for the various endeavors of our lives, what makes for a good leader, and what some of the common challenges are for leaders today. Today's podcast is part of our clinician series, where we'll take a deeper dive into the work that David does in his leadership development, allowing you to hear and learn what occurs between him and those he's working with. Our goal in this clinician series is to provide a more practical, more hands-on experiential understanding of the application of various techniques, strategies, and constructs that Richard utilizes to help you appreciate the dynamics that take place in the interactions he has, the words and the experiences that get exchanged, and the process of change that can be transformative. Richard, welcome back to our show. Yeah. Hey, thank you for having me. It's nice to have you. Yeah. You know, I know your clinics and the things you do, you know, in your day-to-day, you know, as a physician, but I know that your clients in terms of the coaching seek you out to become more effective leaders at leading their organizations, their colleagues, and maybe even leadership for their own lives. But despite being in positions of leadership, maybe through advancement or seniority or attrition even, what brings someone to that place where they want to choose to step into leadership, do you find? Discomfort, I think, honestly. And I think a discomfort comes in a lot of different ways. And so the first thing is for the majority of individuals who are in healthcare, they're really there to try to help people and Mm. to work well with colleagues. And what they find is there are times where, geez, this is not going as it could go. And so there's just this sort of frustration of, so how do we kind of improve things? And so I think that one, that is one thing. And then on the other hand, that's oftentimes paired with okay, now I'm in this position where I have opportunities to improve things and I really don't feel like I'm as effective as I could be. And so how do I pursue things moving forward? Like it's those things coming together. Yeah, really good. Well, let's take that if we can. And let's get our our listeners kind of into the meat and potatoes here. Walk us through how you lay out your leadership training process and help us understand what you take folks through. Yeah, so I think of the, the leadership stuff our development is occurring in kind of three different sectors. And one is we're developing ourselves in the way that we're making sense of the world and the things that we're doing and how we're approaching things, what we feel internally. So that's number one. I think the second thing is as leaders, it's often challenging as we're having one-to-one conversations with colleagues. And so, geez, talking with my friend is one thing, but this person actually is not interested at all in what I'm talking about. And how do I have these conversations? How can I be most effective? And so those one-to-one conversations. And then I think the third thing then just generally is like leading groups of people and mm-hmm. how the groups react and interact and how different groups interact and react and, and how to navigate that. And so developing different programs, keeping all three of those in mind, but also focusing on each of those sectors as we go through them, this kind of internal, external, and one-to-one sort of experience. 
Start with the internal piece. That's almost that phrase, you know, know thyself. And talk about the importance of that starting there, kind of almost as a cornerstone. Yeah. So it's funny. I just gave a, I just did a program about how to become basically a leader from your authentic self. And, and so as I think about it, you know, I was a baby at one time. And just imagine if I was a baby sitting in a, 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 a meeting, people be like, oh, look, the baby can sit up and lead us. That's not what happened. What happened was over a period of time, I grew up. I had experiences, and through those experiences, I became a better leader. And as I think back, maybe not to when I was a baby, but let's say two or three years ago, there are things that I was doing back then that I was not comfortable with, that I was not effective with, that I'm doing things differently. And and so now, how is that different? How have I grown from at one point where something felt very inauthentic to something that now feels quite authentic? You know, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think that that's a great perspective of someone who is in a space to grow. You're seeing, geez, I could be so much better and so much more effective and it doesn't feel comfortable right now. I feel like an imposter. Yeah, that's right. It's because you're not yet there, but it's an opportunity for you. So you're encouraging folks to kind of almost lean into the uncomfortableness, maybe not feeling as authentic as they like to be or to tolerate the imposter syndrome that's not unusual in our growth processes here. Leaning into the uncomfortable sounds like part of this growth of knowing thyself more and more and then growing from those places. Growth is not static. And if, if things are comfortable and you feel like you're there, then, well, that's where you're at. I think we're all trying to improve. So with these three developmental areas, where do you take them next? Jeez. So there's a physician who speaks up too much. Like, that's, let's just take that as an example. There's a, someone who does a great job taking care of patients, gets things done, highly educated, a lot of experience. They're in these situations where they're they're leading teams and they're running meetings, and yet they can't stop speaking up, and they and they mm-hmm. feel it. They feel like, geez, I say something, and someone says something else I disagree with, and I jump right back in, and I eh, and I can sense that that's the wrong thing to do, but I keep doing it, and then I kind of take over the agenda, and so so individuals approach with that sort of a problem, and the question is like, so now what can I do? You know, how, how do I a- a- approach this moving forward? And that can be one of the sections. On the other side, it could be an individual who's doesn't speak. I mean, so there's an individual who is a leader within a department or a division, for example, and all of a sudden they're having these meetings with other individuals who have titles, and they feel like, oh, geez, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. They're asking me my input. I don't feel like I know enough. I'm not sure if I'm going to say things in the right way, and I feel uncomfortable speaking up. And so just taking those two things, you have two individuals. We all know individuals like that. We've experienced right. meetings with those individuals. And the question is, how can this feel more authentic? How can I step back and relax and let the room talk? Or how can I step yes. in and start kind of giving my point of view, even though it may disagree with others? When you pose it like that, we might kind of hypothesize together that the person that's speaking up too much is really not that different from the person that's speaking up too little in terms of both are likely feeling some insecurity. The person that kind of takes over, kind of grasps, you know, the conversation and leads it a certain way might have some trouble just holding that position and letting people talk, having kind of holding capacity, if you will. What are your thoughts on that piece? Yeah, I mean, that's totally it. You you have it right there. So all my experiences from a leadership perspective have been built upon reading from others. And so this perspective that that Keegan and Leahy have, Robert Keegan, Lisa mm-hmm. Leahy, for immunity to change is one of the things that comes in, and we'll talk about that. And this perspective of adaptive versus technical challenges is a, is a learning that I think is helpful here. And so, so as someone has 
a challenge. I think I like to think of them as either technical or adaptive. And so for technical challenges, all we need to do is learn something. I mean, it's just, it's like a gap in knowledge. So we gain a new skill and it helps us out. And so, for example, the individual, let's say take an individual who has a hard time talking with colleagues about difficult things. Like, yeah. And so they could go and take a, a, a crucial conversations course, great right. course, teaches them the way through. And then when they're done, um, some can do great. They have all they need and they can have those conversations. But for others, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, this is still uncomfortable. I'm still afraid that I'm going to hurt someone's feelings. I still right. afraid I'm going to see the risks. And so that wasn't a technical issue. This was an adaptive issue. And so rather than needing just knowledge and skills, it actually it, it needs a change in the way that they're making sense of that situation. Yeah, good. And as you alluded to, it comes oftentimes, I think usually, from our own internal fears and worries and the things that we're thinking about what might happen if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and and that kind of it moves things forward. And, and so I think del delving into those fears, those worries, those assumptions that we have can be very potent from a perspective of someone who's feeling inauthentic, understanding what they need to be doing to be, become more authentic. Yeah, it's such a it's such a vulnerable and exposed, almost transparent position, isn't it? To be in a position of leadership, and you, you're out there, and you're by yourself on the proverbial stage, and, and that exposure is not an easy place to be. Yeah, it's not. And how am I going to be seen? How am I going to be evaluated? And all of our core fears are going to be coming up for sure in those moments. And I I, I love the idea of starting with. You know, what are the technical skills that we can easily, you know, just kind of teach conversations, you know, ways to, you know, keep things rolling, ways to be a good listener, et cetera. Those are just techniques and skills that anyone can learn, which is the good news. But that interpersonal part, that part within ourselves, the intrapersonal part is the uh, part that oftentimes makes that leadership kind of more well-rounded when someone begins to get more confidence and being able to hold those situations or know when to speak up. Sounds like that's kind of a cornerstone, again, piece of your work. Yeah, I think the shallow leadership program is going to be just the technical stuff where, okay, learn to right. coach in a day. We're going to teach you how to coach and then, you know, off with you. But right. then what happens is individuals try to apply that and it feels uncomfortable. There's situations where it doesn't work. As we're developing as leaders and as we're trying to develop leaders, we want to create situations where people face those challenges. They have difficulty overcoming them. Then they come back and we try to help them through. It's really a developmental step-by-step and for each of us, it's a bit different. And so how do we create environments where we're able to step into each individual's situation and, and help them? I think it's totally doable. And the nice thing about it is as we get groups of individuals together who are talking about their fears and the things that are not working, we start to see, actually, this is quite normal. We all yes. feel this. And even the most senior leader on down is experiencing yeah. this. And the more we can share those sorts of experiences, the better we are. Even when you're talking about sharing those experiences, I, I've I've seen leaders that I really respect in positions, you know, where they're leading a conversation or they're going through a difficult time. When they find themselves getting stuck, they'll just name it. Man, we are really stuck right now, aren't we? We have no idea where to go. Yeah. Or this is a really difficult place where we could probably just have to sit with this a little bit more until something emerges. Because I know emerges for us because I know the answers are here in the room with us. Or some direction is going to come about. But being able to be maybe that vulnerable, that transparent in those moments can sometimes kind of soften kind of the mood in the room and get people to be a little bit more, you know, maybe vulnerable themselves as well. Yeah. And sometimes these moments sneak up on you. I mean, sometimes you feel, and, <laughs> and this is, I think we're normal normalizing things is helpful. I have made a lot of mistakes and I continue to, and, and there are times where I've stepped in front of a room feeling like I, I had the direction and okay, let's all move forward. And what I find is that actually the room has a quite a different idea 
and that now have angered individuals. Some individuals are sad. And being able to call that out, I think, is important. And, and understanding that, for me, I was definitely fallible in those moments, that I make, made some mistakes. And, and calling that out, I think, can be a helpful way of moving forward, both for them and also for myself. I like it, Richard, that you're starting with this authenticity that, you know, we don't have to be perfect. But we can be honest in those moments. And that authenticity might mean saying, hey, maybe I got the wrong read on this, or maybe we're starting off in the wrong way. But just being open and trusting that that's going to make it safer for whatever leadership you're going to be walking people through or any tasks that you guys have. What a great way to come at this, you know, kind of open and honest in that manner. So you talk about the the self, and then you talk about the one-on-one and the groups that you're, they're going to be leading. Walk us through some more of what you teach folks. Yeah. So I think, so it's just kind of one-to-one there's, how are we approaching individuals? And again, as each of us who are in leadership positions are there because of our ability oftentimes to get things done, we have expertise, we know what to do. And then now you're going to have a conversation with another colleague about whatever's going on in their life. And so how are you going to approach them? And it takes a different approach than the voice that's in our own head. I mean, it, it really does. And so I like to think of us is wearing different hats as leaders. And so I think of five hats. And the first one is that of teacher. There's one of mentor. There's one of coach. There's one of supervisor. And there's one of sponsor. And so I think for the expert in us who are leaders, and we're, as we're having these one-on-one conversations, we tend to gravitate towards either mentoring, where, where we're, it's very helpful. We've been there and we've done that. We're giving other individuals our perspective of what they might do, how they might approach things. We're helping them to see through our eyes. But that is quite different than the hat that I would prefer to use, which is coaching, which is instead of telling them what to do is, from my perspective and my own eyes, is helping them see through their own eyes. And so then how do you coach individuals? And then supervision where, geez, you just need to put people in the place and tell them, you know, kind of keep them safe and and uh, adhere to the rules and regulations. And, and you're kind of leading from a perspective of power. But oftentimes, again, it's, it's oftentimes a leadership is best when the other's power, their mm-hmm. own kind of efficacy is being strengthened there. And so this overplaying of expertise and supervision is is quite frequent. And so... The one-to-one training is really helping individuals to to learn that coaching approach, which can be quite uncomfortable because people will come to you and say, what should I do? And geez, that feels so good. Well, let me tell you, I can just solve any of your problems. It's tempting, that, isn't it? It's so tempting. It feels so good, but yet it doesn't tend to be a long-term success. We want to be developing individuals. And, and so when they come to you and they say, so what should I do? And if you just ask a coaching question, something like, that's a good question. What are your thoughts? How would you like to approach this? How have you seen this work? Yeah. What have you seen others do? What happens if we don't do this? I mean, you're just asking questions. It, it oftentimes gets them to the place they need to be without your experience, number one. And then number two, if I have individuals coming to me seeking my experience and I approach them as a mentor, I'm 54 years old. Times have changed. And if I'm talking to someone who's 30 or 20, you know, my experience is quite different. And I, it, unfortunately, it does not fit all the time. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new all-access pass. 
All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Well, I love the idea that you're making it safe enough for them, despite the questions they may be asking. And you're, maybe without saying it, encouraging them to trust themselves, to discover themselves first and kind of maybe mine down a little bit into, well, what, what are your thoughts about this? And have you approached things like this before? What's happened when you've tried this before? And it's a benevolent role, really. It's 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 an entrusting role. You're, you're not leaving them alone and saying you figure it out, but you're listening actively, asking some probing questions, it sounds like, maybe highlighting some things. And helping them kind of discover themselves and ideally build a trust within themselves. And that's that, that goes kind of back to that self-work, it sounds like, that they can bring into the one-on-ones and later maybe to the groups. I really like that. And then as we move into leading groups of individuals, I mean, as a leader, there are times you need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. It's not go and ask questions. No. And so how do you know when those times are? Mm-hmm. There are times when you need to bring a bunch of people together. And, tr- and try to understand various perspectives before you start to move forward. And when are those times? There are times when you need to ask the experts to help you out. When are those times? And it, it's helping individuals really understand when they need to step up, when they need to kind of step back, and how to recognize these different situations and move forward. Yeah. You talk about helping leaders recognize their limits or amplifying engagements and this idea of shared group reality. Speak to those a wee bit for us. So a lot of leadership is not us talking up from our expertise. It's actually dealing with situations that are that are volatile and changing and environments that are unpredictable. And so in those environments, if I go up and I tell the group of people, you know, hey, I don't know if you know me, I'm kind of a big deal around here and this is what I think and this is what we're going to do. Yeah, it's not going to, yeah, I, I say, I don't know if you know me, I'm kind of a big deal around here. And they're like, bro. <laughs> Yeah, we know you, and you're not. <laughs> Put you in your place, huh? Right. Trying but, to be authentic. Um, it's I have I have blind spots, and so in this situation where things are rapidly changing and we're needing to figure out the way to go, it's gonna, I'm going to be much more effective as a leader if I have some way of looking around my blind spots. If I can help others look around their own blind spots, because if I say what I think and they disagree, it may be that they're not seeing what I'm seeing, and I certainly am not seeing what they're seeing, and so. So to do that, you develop shared reality. And, and so what does that mean? It means that I have a perspective. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out what that perspective is. And then also other individuals do, do too. And so we're going to try to find a way for us to come together and look at this situation that we have from all these different perspectives. And these perspectives include our agreements and disagreements. It includes our fears and our worries. It includes our, our, our vision and our values and all these sorts of things. I mean, you can imagine for me as a physician, if I'm leading a group of, of individuals in healthcare and I'm only including the physician's perspective, geez, not, not so good. What, what do the nurses think? What do the pharmacists think? What, what does the administrator think? What does the patient think? I'm going to be able to come to much better decisions if I, as, as a leader, know how to handle those sorts of situations. Really good. Well, the, you're, you're encouraging someone in those moments that 
they've kind of got to rise above what's going on at those levels and really kind of mine down into what they believe to be right. And you're saying it sometimes a leader has to make that decision that they know and believe is right. You're, you're also talking, Richard, about these fears and these worries that can come up in a group for a leader and the, as they're leading them. What are some of the challenges for a leader when a group gets stuck? And why are groups typically getting stuck, do you find? Yeah, so let's assume that you've decided on this question that the group wants to work on moving forward. And so I think of those as these as illuminating, question, illuminating questions. And the question is, how can we best change our schedule to be able to see all the patients that need to be seen? Mm-hmm. How can we best schedule our shifts? How do we best allot time that allows us to do research and take care of patients? Like these sorts of questions, mm-hmm. I could solve them myself as a leader, but it's probably better for me to develop shared reality. And so, so now you have a bunch of individuals in a room and they've come together. They all have their different perspectives or agreements and disagreements. We're, we're really enjoying this time together and hearing different perspectives. And then we finally come up with our options and what we're going to do as a way forward. And then they, we leave the meeting. What oftentimes happens is we leave the meeting and then nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. So we oftentimes have meetings in these situations where we're sharing stuff and we hold retreats. And then when we go back to our daily lives, things don't happen. And so why is that? And I think we can look prospectively at why that might happen. And my sense is that, so one of the common things is, how am I going to do this and also stomp out fires? I have daily fires. I don't know. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. this is great. We had some time to talk about this, but I have a whole list of things I need to do. Maybe this is actually part of the issue that we talk about before we leave the room. How are we going to make sure we're able to do this and at the same time deal with these daily fires? How can we make sure that we're taking time as a fire marshal as opposed to a firefighter. And unless we're, we're talking about this, this fear of not having the time to do this, we're not going to be able to work through it. Maybe my fear is, is that, you know, I think we're all for this, but I'm not sure if the senior leaders are for this. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe that we include this as our options and what we're going to do as we leave the room. So how can we ensure that senior leaders are behind this? Because if we, if we know they're not, then we may approach things in different ways than, than we would. Another big thing is where individuals are working together as a team. And then, and this happens where I'll meet with a group of individuals who have this great, great conversation and retreat. And I'll say, so how are things going? And then it's like crickets. And then I'll say, who's in charge? Mm-hmm. And no one says anything. It's because no one feels like they are in charge. It's like we're a group working together. But when we make these decisions, we still need someone in charge of the decision, someone who can help nurture this decision, this process that we have moving forward. And so I I think that this concept of the directly responsible individual that Apple uses, where for every sort of project, there is someone who is tasked with making sure that things get going. And that means that person is protecting this decision they're not the boss of everyone else. They're just the one kind of nurturing this thing that we all agreed upon to move forward. You know, it's always amazing to me. We, we need leaders. It sounds like, you know, it's kind of nice to have a group consensus and everybody coming, being on the same page as the saying goes. But, and just because someone steps into a leadership position, like you said, does not make them the boss per se, but we need leaders to shepherd things to completion. And without them, we tend to kind of drift or we just have things get, you know, there was a really good meeting, but nothing really comes to fruition afterwards. In those moments where someone has to step up, 
does it go back to that authentic piece where you're where you're noticing it? Maybe people are, are are reticent to step into that place, or there's insecurity. Or if I step in, what are you going to think? Are you going to think I'm the boss? Or is it more kind of a group dynamic that makes it hard for someone in those moments? Do you think to to step up into that leadership role and kind of take the reins? Yeah, and so this is going back against the self and how we're developing as ourselves. Yeah, so. So he, it requires agility for us to be able to lead in, in all these different environments. And, yeah, and maybe for some individuals, stepping up and shouting orders, you know, based on their experience and those sort of stuff is quite natural. Yeah. Whereas for others, it may not feel natural. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, maybe for some individual gathering colleagues together and having them share their perspectives and their fears and worries and the and moving forward may feel comfortable, but the shouting orders is not so comfortable. Right. And so our best leaders can really can do both. And there, and for all these situations, the goal is not to have a hundred percent agreement. Humans just don't get there. No. The goal is to understand what are the fears and the worries of our colleagues? What are the things that can go wrong? And then try to figure out how you can mitigate that. And so e either the leader who's, there are situations where it's emergent. The leader just needs to make a decision. They can't get a task force. They can't hold, hold a meeting next week. And they need to do that, but I, they can do this in a way that's still kind of considering what others are, are perceiving or might perceive if they have that information. Yeah. And then the same thing, obviously, with the, the group coming together. This agility is so important. We saw, we've seen leaders in COVID, for example, who did a great job of stepping up during crisis, getting things done. But then there's been this transition and now how well are they doing? Hmm. And, and so we need this time where people can bring people together not just shout out what needs to be done and what's wrong and those sorts of things. Stay with that just for a moment. This is another leadership style you're talking about, getting people to come together. As you see it, maybe using COVID as an example, expand upon that. So during COVID, first of all, none of us predicted it was going to happen. And we hear it was happening across the sea. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, this is happening to us. And there's a restriction of supply chain. There's people are getting sick around us. Our, our family and friends are getting sick. People are dying. There's th decisions that need to be made fast. And so during those times, we had individuals who would step up and take charge and, and make decisions and appoint others to step up, and take charge and make decisions, understanding that we can't do it all alone. Our, our CEO is not going to try to figure out all the infectious disease stuff. The, they're going to say to the infectious disease chair, hey, this is your job. You need to figure this out. You make decisions. I'm behind you. But then as things go through, are they adapting? As we start learning about the process, as we start learning about masks, as we start getting supply chain, as we start learning about the medications that we can use, as we can start all these sorts of, we start to develop these sort of best practices and ideas where things may go, are individuals able to then step back from this command mm -hmm. and control Yes. And then start to now gather more perspectives about what's going on in ways that we can improve things. Mm -hmm. And and really, our best leaders can do that. They do that. I mean, it, this is a purposeful thing. I mean, there, this is something that is, for most, something that they've needed to develop. But it's something that can certainly be done. And it's this movement from mentor expert, on one hand, to coach facilitator. Right, right exactly. So, it's from, I know what to do, or I need to know, or, you know, I, I can make my best guess to actually the only, the best way for us to know is for us to, to, to create and share this wisdom together. Yeah. I'm thinking of kind of a family systems model right now. And, you know, you think about the different roles that a parent plays over the course of their children's years, you know, in the elementary, you know, birth to elementary school years, it's more kind of an involved role and you kind of move into your 
you know, high school years and your roles change a wee bit. You want to give more, you know, responsibility and you want to give more autonomy while you're still guiding and mentoring and coaching along the way and parenting when necessary. And then you move from a parent child to, you know, the teenagers and then to more adult adult where you're kind of facilitating something different. So there's this developmental role that you're talking a little bit about right now that I think agile parents have in place. They can see the needs over the course of time as things change. That agility and being nimble, I think, is a real benefit. Yeah. And as we're talking about the discomfort that we all feel, again, understanding it, it really is like this purposeful, where am I now? Where are we now as a group? How can we best move forward? Is this a time where I need to step forward or is this time where I, I step back and facilitate mm-hmm. and, and, and recognizing that? Yeah. Talk about some of the tactics and maybe strategies you want your leaders to have as you walk them through your training process. So, I mean, so first of all, for me, the tra- training program is not about me doing case presentations of what happens at Mayo. I think that gets pretty boring pretty fast for most people. For me, leadership development is having individuals bring the issues that they're facing right now that are quite difficult and then helping them work through that. And as they're trying to work through those things, again, I'm doing a lot with physicians, nurses, administrators. I can think of a group who's trying to figure out, geez, how do we get patients discharged by noon the next day so we can have then the new patients come and have beds available? Very complex issue. On the one hand, I could give a, here's a talk about what we've done. But on the other hand, helping them to actually try to figure out what to do, how to develop shared reality, how to understand the fears and the worries, how to, to create shared vision, right. how to come up with the options that they're going to pursue, and then how to, to move things forward is much better for them. Really and, then, and then within that sort of a scenario, for them to recognize that they have their own concerns and worries about what might happen, there's areas for their own growth and there's areas for them to help colleagues grow. You can move like mm-hmm. a exactly. leader on the self one-to-one and with colleagues together th- as you're developing them throughout a program like this. And then you can follow up with them and how are things going? What are the challenges you're facing? I think that's number one, which is just understanding it's like self, others, one-to-one. And, and then I think the second thing is for leaders to understand that there's leadership for themselves is development and leading organization is development. And so we're not necessarily coming up with solutions. Oftentimes what we're doing is we're just creating experiments, things, seeing how things go, learning from them together. That's organizationally, but also individually and as groups. It's really good. What are some of the personal costs that you find kind of are inherently a part of being a, being a leader? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think it's for both the leader and for their colleagues, which is, I mean, we can get burned out. Yes. It can be very difficult. And, and so what happens when I, the leader, am dealing with this area of expertise and I know what to do and we don't have a lot of time and maybe I can just go in and get things done. And then I do that, but then people are mad at me. Jeez. Uh, This is like, this is my area of expertise. (laughs) right? That can be difficult. Right. On the other hand, in the same situation, all their colleagues who have ideas and perspectives of what can, they're not being heard. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like? And so I think for leaders and, and for, and their colleagues, it's, it's looking at these areas of well-being and this sense of whether we're aligned with purpose, whether we're having a, an opportunity to speak our minds, to be heard and have autonomy, whether we're having opportunities to grow and, and attain either jobs or positions or, or knowledge and experiences that we're wanting, 
It's whether we're having the resources that we need. And if we don't have the resources that we need, being able to figure out then how we can kind of pivot and, and do things in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's having positive interactions with each other. And it's being self-accepting, all these things coming together. And so for our leaders, burnout is big, just as it is with our colleagues. I like the idea of habits in our lives, day-to-day rituals and disciplines that we do. What are some of the habits and disciplines and maybe some of the rituals that you see the leaders that you admire doing on a daily basis? Yeah, I think the first thing is having a language around burnout and well-being. And so understanding what well-being is, and I just went through that, you know, purpose, autonomy, growth, and, and that sort of stuff. So that's number one. I think the second thing is reaching out and having some and other individuals from outside your immediate department or division that you can that you can talk to. And that doesn't mean like oh, let me tell you what happened today. It's it's no. more like so what's your experience like? And so what are you, how are you how are you getting things done? How are you finding well-being? Having these sorts of positive conversations. Oftentimes what feels like something that's insurmountable internally and horrible and only happening to us, we realize that actually this is actually fairly common for many others, and so we're not alone there. Yeah. I think finding ways for us to come together and, and really flex those areas of well-being and share those positive experiences can be quite helpful. Mm-hmm. And then also making sure that for a leader, purposefully setting up those times where we can bring people together to deal with really complex issues as a team, those things are really helpful. Really good. Really good. Well, Richard, we're kind of winding down in our time for today. I'd love you to, if you could, leave a message for our listeners regarding if they're considering leadership positions and kind of stepping into that, if they feel a call to do so, what would be a word of encouragement to them? <laughs> First of all, please do. I mean, we need leaders. Yes, exactly. Uh, we, we, and I think to recognize that discomfort is a part of it. And yeah. you're saying a word of encouragement, and maybe I'm going in the wrong direction here, but there are many times that... that when you're a leader that you actually feel quite alone and you can feel bad about yourself and like you're not good enough, but to realize that those are those moments, those tend to be these like high growth moments. And, and, and for you to understand that not only are you feeling this, but others are feeling this and then there's a way out of it. And, and, you know, you, you can take that energy and really do so much with it. The individuals who step up and lead are the individuals that are going to help us kind of make the world a better place. And I think each of us are exactly the right people to do so. That's really good. Hey, Richard, I would love for our listeners to learn more about you and your work, as well as your book, You're the Leader, Now What? Give us some URLs and ways for people to follow up with us. Great. So I I have a website, richardwinners.com. So my name, richardwinners.com. I have a book that I wrote called You're the Leader, Now What? And that's for those times when you find yourself in those situations when you're not wondering now, what do I do? And so that's available on, at any bookstore. And then I just started up this thing called We Coach Each Other. And that's aimed at physicians and teaching physicians how to coach each other and offering kind of a community situation where they can learn from each other and help each other out. Really good. I grew up in a medical facility here in Hawaii where I live, Queens Medical Center, phenomenal center. And it was one of the greatest experience in my life. I was there for seven years total. And I work with a lot of physicians and got a lot of friends that are from the medical center. They're still my close friends and they have so much pressure and a lot of responsibility and they feel so alone sometimes wanting to do right things, but they can't oftentimes share what they're holding and what they're, what they're going through. So I love that idea of that group right there, giving them a place that's safe to basically in a universal way, share that 
we're all going through this. Why not talk about it? So I love that idea that you've created that group. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, Richard, it's been great to have you with us today. Thanks for coming back and for sharing with us what you're doing in your leadership development. Thanks, Graham. Nice to have you with us. also want to thank you to our listeners for joining Richard and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.